everybody. Welcome to episode 65 of the Masterclass. I'm Cam, and the voice you're about to hear is Dave. That's me. Thought you were going to hang out to dry there. Why? I don't know. Just okay. had that feeling. <laughs> but welcome. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, I played a, a wicked game of kickball yesterday, and uh, the old body's not as uh, spry as it once was. My legs are sore. That happens. So sad. <laughs> Gone to the days where I could eat and drink whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and have no, no repercussions. Puns, yeah. But it was a fun game. We won 14 to 13. We went down 7 nothing in the first inning. Oh, no. Came back and scored like 10 runs. And then we're up 14 to, 14 to 7 going. So we won like a 14 run run, which is a terrible phrase. Gave up six in the bottom of the last or the top of the last inning to win by one. It was <laughs> very uh, nail biter. I also um, heavy air quotes here slid head first into third base, more like attacked the ground ferociously, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily it was not caught on film that because it thing. felt really awkward, and I imagine it looked. Kind of like the monkey falling out of the tree. Have you ever seen that video? The monkey, the monkey. picks his butt oh, and yeah, yeah. his finger and just falls out of the tree. That's how I felt I looked while I was trying to slide. And it hurt really bad. But I did it, you know. My wife was watching. I had to show off. <laughs> Reminder of the stud she married. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Uh, we have much more important things to discuss. We have follow-up this week, Dave. Oh, yeah. It seems our self-pity is, uh, has worked. Yeah, he was very kind. So our follow-up this week comes from longtime listener, longtime follow-upper, Jerome. He's back. He was, like, busy going to the Middle East and stuff. Um, but he did listen to one of our episodes while he was over there, so... We are now a multinational podcast. That's pretty cool. Thanks to our jet set style listeners. Yes. So he uh last time he wrote in he uh talked about Peter Rollins and he has given us a link to another podcast where um Peter Rollins himself uh I guess explains um, more of where he comes from, and um, we'll have the link in the show notes if you're interested. I've yet to listen to it. It's on my to-do list for the coming week, so perhaps I will have some follow-up on this follow-up next episode, um, but appreciate Jerome uh, sending us in a direction to gain some uh, better understanding of, of this fella that Jerome likes. So we'll listen to that. We'll put a link in the show notes if you are interested as well. Um, but his follow-up concerning uh, Matthew 18, 18 to 20, which is what we discussed the last episode, right? Yes, it is. Okay, good. I didn't want to be wrong on my own show. That'd be embarrassing. <laughs> uh, he said, on the subject of binding and loosing, um, I also thought about Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, we actually talked about the Matthew 16 verse while I was in Israel, because we went to Caesarea Philippi, which is where Jesus probably spoke those words to Peter and the other disciples. I've talked to people both on the more conservative slash fundamentalist and on the liberal slash progressive ends of the spectrum. And the consensus seems to be that Jesus is giving Peter and or the disciples the power to determine what is right and wrong, which is a fairly spectacular thing, I think. Uh, you can see this played out in Acts on the question of circumcision. I think this interpretation also fits for the Matthew 18 verse. Maybe this is what you guys were getting at, and it just didn't come through to me uh, like that. Question mark. Would you disagree or agree with the what is right and what is wrong? Uh, I yeah, I, I think there's that is very much a part of uh, what's going on here uh, in this verse, and I I guess I uh, the part that I would agree with is the uh, that being a spectacular thing. Uh, I I would agree with that. The fact that there's this sense of um, God trusting 
his followers to be able to discern uh, some of those things. And again, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know that we articulated it so well, but, but yeah, the context has more to do with that sort of uh, decision-making. How is it that we um, address issues that maybe are not directly spoken of in scripture um, or that have a cultural context or something like that? And then how do we um, apply that to our lives here versus this, you know, I don't want to completely go on this tangent, but it's it's really not about obtaining material things. It's not about getting what we want. It it's it really is more about discernment and this ability to apply heavenly truths, God truth, which is truth, uh, in our lives here on earth, even though we are fallible, sinful human beings. So yeah, and the, and I agree. It's a it's just an it's a spectacular thing. It's an incredible. So. Well, especially when you consider it says what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be lo-. so like the the consequences of those decisions, whether they're right or wrong or good or bad, uh has major ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And uh whether it's about, you know, what is um good and bad um or you know what is uh true and false or you know who is forgiven and who is not forgiven like whatever um you know uh dichotomy you want to use there like the effects don't just end here it's not you know what what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas anymore mm-hmm. right it it goes uh to eternity and that's to to both of your points of spectacular is like not only does he trust us, but it, but yeah. he gives us an incredible responsibility to take that power seriously, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm reminded of that super cliche phrase from Spider Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, Peter. Um, and there's a lot of times I scratch my head. I'm like, really, God? Like, you not know how dumb people are? <laughs> You know how dumb I am with yeah. decisions that I make, um, but I think it. One of the things that my experience in the church and in Bible study, and in school, um, one thing that that I don't think I was ever aware of was the gravity of my decisions. Because Jesus just forgives you. Mm. Grace covers everything. Which, and I say that flippantly to make Cheap a point. Price, yeah. Like, my decisions still matter. My decisions still carry a serious weight to them, even though Jesus forgives my sins. It doesn't mean that I should continue to sin, even though I like to continue to sin, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and is it Romans where Paul says, you know, should, if we're... Something about grace, should we continue to say, no, by no means. I, I Yes, it is in Romans. Um, and and I can't help but, you know, from our discussion last week and from Jerome's follow-up here, just get to that point of like, yeah, it's our decisions carry a large amount of weight and responsibility with them, and we have to start acting and living our lives that way. And that's really hard because I'm so focused on what's directly in front of me that I struggle to think how a split second decision is going to affect eternity. And I wish, and this is going to sound like I'm making an excuse and it's probably because I am making an excuse, but I'd wish that I had been taught that at an earlier age, or if I had been taught that at an earlier age, that I would have paid attention to it (laughs) because I feel like I have to, break decades old habits of being like well sinned again good thing jesus loves me yes and that's you know as as i as i get a little bit older uh you know as as i am eagerly awaiting becoming a dad like you start to think about different things and how you want to raise your kid and what you want to teach them and and how you need to change so that you're not saying Say, uh, do as I say and not as I do, and, and all of that. And uh, 
yeah, the the power and the responsibility that my decisions have on my life and those around me is far greater than I would hope. Mm. I don't want that kind of responsibility. And, and I don't want this to be a cop out, but I I just I look at scriptures, scripture, and it is full of people like us. I mean, God doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't, it, you know, all of his people made bad choices at some point or another. Um, and maybe even argued with him about some of those bad choices. And, and it's so much about, um, I think what you're talking about, what we're talking about here, really comes back to that relationship. It's, it's relational. It's not just a do as I say. It's uh, more a give and take uh, sort of thing. And that, along with many other things, is one of the, th- one of the uh, attributes of God that's now easier for me to understand that I'm a parent. Because I know there are certain things that I want to like tell my kids, and, and every now and then they'll have this really good point or argument or just um, asking for mercy, whatever it may be, where I kind of have to take a step back and go, okay, I'm going to bend the rules or I'm going to do what they, you know, I'm not going to be so hard-nosed about this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to say, I-, I hear what you're asking for. I hear what you're arguing. I hear what you're, you know, um, can't think of the word I'm looking for, but yeah. So being a dad definitely even impacts that on the flip side of you start going, okay, I get the whole God, the way he does things a little bit more. Not that I'm on par with him, but just being a parent opens your eyes to some of those things. Yeah. In the next bit of follow-up, he said, in regards to where two or three are gathered, um, which is the very end of the passage we covered last week, I think Jesus may be referring to the idea of God being embodied in love. This is to say that when multiple people are working together and earnestly seeking God's will in binding and loosing, God will be exemplified in the love and grace they show to one another, even through disagreements. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't know that I have any right off the bat <laughs> on that well, one. Well, my my uh my initial response is that Jerome has has a high opinion of people getting together and doing good things. Um when multiple people are working together and earnestly seeking God's will. And that, I sound like such a <laughs> idiot um assuming that that people can't do that, but it's just in my experience that oh, where two or three are gathered, Jesus' present has been abused, or in my mind at least misrepresented. I would hope that this is what it means, that when two or three people are gathered in his name doing his work, then yes, absolutely, um, I agree with this. Uh, I just think that it's, it's one of the biblical passages that has been hijacked to use as a blanket statement for whatever people want. Like First Corinthians thirteen and the love thing, and uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's there's just there's a few passages that have been sort of hijacked and become bumper stickers uh, and used out of context and everything. But I would hope that what Jerome is saying here is absolutely correct. That if two or three people or four or five are gathered to work towards the purpose of showing God's love that yes, that's exactly what he's talking about in this verse. I, you know, and I initially didn't, um, didn't have a whole lot of thoughts cause well, I don't even go into that. I, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I can probably get behind this and agree with this even to the point that um, a group of Christian community may come together and decide that God has shown them a certain thing to be right or good, and it's different than what another group has found to be right or good. And those two things on the surface may contradict each other. And ultimately, it comes down to 
um, that obedience of, of what God is calling us to. It's not so much the, I'm being right for right's sake, as it is, um, we want to honor what it is he feels like is, is t- he is showing us. And I guess an example would be, let's just take infant baptism. I do believe there's, there may be a set of, of Christians, whatever denomination, wherever you're at, where you say infant baptism is important and we need to do it. And the reason that we do it is because we feel like this is what God wants us to do. And then you have another group of Christians that are on the exact opposite. We're not going to do it because we don't think it's right. And it's not what God wants us to do. Both groups are being obedient to God and both can be in the right. Um, and part, part of this, I'm just going to come down to, um, there are many things throughout history that Christians have disagreed upon. And I think there are a lot of those things that for that, per- for that person, that group, in that moment, that is what they need to be obedient to. And just because somebody disagrees with them does not mean that they're not uh, correct in their behavior. And I'm not exactly sure if that's what he's talking about, but um, I, I, yeah, I, I do believe that. So. One of the things that, and I am I am taking this point and going off on a strong tangent here. So, listener, you have been forewarned. Sorry, Dave, you're stuck here. <laughs> um, one of the things that I have been thinking about very recently, uh, and even more so, um, I was listening to a podcast on the way home today. Um, it's the Nerdist podcast that Chris Hardwick hosts, and he does like The Talking Dead, and he's been an internet and TV guy for a long time, and he's super hardworking, seems like a really nice guy. Uh, I listen to his podcast every once in a while, just based on who the uh, the guest is, but uh, my boss, Joel, suggested this episode, because uh, he, he talks with a guy named Hakeem Alyushay. <laughs> I, I, I butchered that last name. He's an astrophysicist. And grew up in the exact opposite scenario you would expect an astrophysicist to grow up in. Moving every year. Uh, his dad was a weed dealer. Oh, um, my. Yeah, I mean, grew up all over the, the South, wound up in rural Missouri. His middle school and high school got the worst grades in the state. Um, but somehow they got computers, taught himself how to program, read the entire uh, encyclopedia, a world encyclopedia by the age of 10 just a really uh, go-getter type of guy. And so they start, um, so I respect him from that standpoint. Like he literally has beaten the odds in every possible way to become a very intelligent, successful scientist. And uh, so that, that story alone kind of grabbed my attention. And uh, so he starts talking to Chris about the universe and planets and stars and, you know, that he's like, it, it almost, and I'm paraphrasing, um, but he speaks in a very um, popular level. Like, he's not uh, trying to impress you with the way that he speaks. He's just a, he's just a dude that happens to be an astrophysicist. Um, and he's like, you know, everywhere you look, it's clear that the universe is creating light. Everything that it does is creating light. The way that uh, you know hydrogen combination and and some other nitrogen con- I don't remember but he he's he's just rattling all these things off and all the universe is doing is creating light and then you get these planets like ours we're human life forms and what do we do we build skyscrapers and fill them with light so even us we're we're do- and you know and he's like the universe is trying to fill the darkness with light and I was like you know for two dudes that aren't Christians. Yeah, that's you are <laughs> you're stumbling upon something very interesting here, um, and so I have been. And th- they got into the whole interplanetary species thing. Like, if we stay on Earth, we're doomed. It's just a matter of time before we go and st- go extinct or kill the planet because um, global warming is the thing. And uh, and so they're getting they, they start talking about the whole interplanetary thing. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't say anything about being interplanetary in the Bible. And I'm like, well, wait. Who cares? Like, right. It doesn't matter. And so I've been trying to, all of that to say, I have been trying to expand my 
horizons on what is possible because nothing in my upbringing or in my biblical training suggests, well, if I die on Mars at the age of 95 of natural causes and Jesus comes back, am I going to miss out on the resurrection because I'm not on earth? (laughs) Well, I would like to think not. I would like to think that, that God created the universe, and no matter where I am in it, he's still in charge. And to me, that is just such a fundamental shift in the way that I think about what is possible, uh, how God operates, how narrow of a focus we can have as Christians on not even what's right and wrong, but what's possible. and it's just messing with my head. I think, and I think in a very good way, but it's, it's causing me to reconsider a lot of the preconceptions I have about a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's been proven out through history. And I think we've talked about that of just, you know, it was heresy to say that the earth revolved around the sun once upon a time, you know, flight was reserved for the angels. Man was not intended to fly. And it was a sin for us to, to even attempt to, you know, try to fly. And so there's, there's a lot of things like that, that it's just, it's not in the Bible. It's not there. Don't put it there. And I, yeah, I am with you. And I just think that speaks to how infinite of a, you know, our God is, is much bigger than we give him credit for. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of other thoughts on that, but I think we should probably get to our main topic, which is 14 whole verses. Oh, boy. I'm going to take a deep breath. <laughs> All right, so we're on to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until... He should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. All right, so how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? Like, at what point can I just say, you know what, dude? You've used up all of my grace. I cannot give you any more. <laughs> and he goes, as many as seven times? Like, who's going to be dumb enough to sin against me seven times? I can kind of see where, where he's coming from. Like, can we, just, can we just call it like it is? This person's never going to change. And Jesus says... I don't say seven, I say 77 times. Like, take take the amount of grace you think is due a person and just exponentially increase it. And uh, I don't think he literally means 77 times so that on time 78 I can just drop you like a bad habit and move right. on with my life. I think his point here is, again, yeah, take your expectations and just increase them incredibly your your forgiveness is not tied to a recurrence of sin your forgiveness stands on its own 
Mm-hmm. It is it is a self uh, sustaining thing. It is there regardless of whether this person has sinned against you once or repetitively, and that of course is um, illustrated for us greatly by God in Scripture. I don't think he's keeping a tally count. I think you know how tiring it would be for him if he had to do that. Just <laughs> never ending. Like I don't even think he can write a computer program that would keep up with <laughs> how many times people sin against him. Yes. Well, and I think too there's um boy, it's just funny how much stuff is in my brain that I believe that I really probably couldn't defend, but I, I you know <laughs> At some point in my Christian life, my Christian walk, I heard somebody say that the Jewish law said you're required to get, forgive somebody three times. No, I don't know if that's true or not. No, I, but what a terrible law. Well, I know. Like, because you know the person's only forgiving you because they legally have, have to. to. They don't really times. mean it. It's like when you tell your four-year-old to say they're sorry to their brother. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you know they don't mean it. Yeah, but. and then the whole... um so Peter's like, okay, I'm gonna more, I'm gonna double it and then add one kind of thing. So seven times is that what I'm supposed to do? And That's an important number in the Bible, right? Yes. And so yeah, I'm with you. I do think the whole um, and this I feel more strongly uh, in terms of what I've learned is that the whole seven, uh, seventy-seven or seventy times seven, um, is kind of the idea of. It's more than you can ever count. It's more than you can ever uh, truly. It's definitely more than the fingers and toes I have. Yeah. You don't reach this and be like, okay, I don't have to forgive you anymore. Yeah. And I think in theory, like I was just ready to blow by this and get onto the parable. Um, I think in theory, this is really easy to be like, oh yeah, sure. Just, just forgive people. But like put yourself in a situation we're no joke. This person's on like major sin against you, like 50. I don't know how I would handle that. Like, I think at that point I'd like file for a restraining order or something. Like if, if there's a person in my life that is continually sinning against me. And we, we talked about this in previous episodes where I'm like, sinning against me is not just pissing me off or not just making me upset or not, mm-hmm. you know, like, breaking my iPad. Like that's all just you know, like living together or just being doing life together. That's fine. But like sinning against me in my estimation and I may be wrong in this definition, but I kind of lean towards like if you sin against me, like it is a personal deep issue that requires reconciliation and requires trust to be rebuilt. You know, and so I wouldn't let anyone get near seven times that sort of no. impact in my life. We're like, see you later, pal. Take a long walk off a short cliff. Like, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mentioned three before, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I, you know, if, 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 if I was in a friendship relationship acquaintance, I knew somebody and had reason to interact with them. And three different times I caught them in a significant lie. I'd probably be like, we're done. I, I have no room for you in my life. I have no need for you in my life. If you find it necessary to lie to me, we're done. And and the world would tell you, bravo, way to go. Good job. You should cut those people out of your life. You shouldn't deal with that sort of uh, poison. Um, but yet, that's not what Jesus tells us. Yeah, that's... Makes me feel really good about myself, Dave. <laughs> yeah. The most non-uplifting Bible podcast there is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to be fun to think about. Um, all right. Verse 23 and on. The parable of the really, really jerky guy. Seriously, he gets, uh, what? Owed him ten thousand talents, and it talent was a denarius was one day's wages, or was that a talent? 
No, no, no. The Daenerys is one day's wage. Okay. So like a Daenerys is the equivalent of, of a day's wage. Yep. Right. So 10,000 talents is far more than one. I like research this a little bit and it's basically the equivalent of 55 million <laughs> Daenerys. So 55 million daily wages. I'd say that's significantly more. That's yeah. That's like, ten, how the, can you owe someone that? Yeah. The 10,000 talent is just like a, an astronomical number. And that's the thing is you would never reach that point. You, you shouldn't be able to reach that point. Well, considering that the currency was time-based, but mm-hmm. or time-valued, um, he must have made some really bad investments. Gambling problem, maybe. Anyways, so this dude was in the whole like, just crazy amounts, and the person that was owed the money, a king, gave some grace and says uh in 27 out of pity for him the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt so not only did he forgive him the debt he did not wind up selling the slave and wife and children, and children to somebody else to try and recoup the value so he has he has in one fell swoop potentially saved this family from a cruel master and pulled them out of this seemingly infinite debt. And this guy's first response was to chase down someone who owed him 1%, if my quick math skills are correct, of what he had owed this guy. Yeah. Which it's still a sizable amount. It's still, you know, right. But when you consider what he owed four months work, it's 1% of what he was in debt of. Yeah. He could go get this money from, from this guy, not, you know, knock him up real. That's not the word I wanted to use. (laughs) (laughs) Beat him up real good. (laughs) Oh man. And he would still owe 99 times or 99% more. Mm hmm. 100% 100% 100 times that amount of money. And it just it to me this is like a a like 10,000 foot view of how fickle we are. Right. We can be blessed and receive forgiveness that we can't even place a value on and then the next second we are just spewing absolute venom because someone stole our parking spot at Target whose bathrooms we will not use. Yeah. But we'll still shop there. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, I, I'm certainly uh, uh, guilty. I'm certainly guilty of this because... Oh, me too. I, it, I, I guess just for me, though, in particular, like if I think about day in, day out, what I do in terms of conversations that I have with people, particularly with my good friends, particularly with the people that I trust, I'm so quickly to point out other people's sins and why they're unworthy. And yeah, I'm really good at this. I'm embarrassed to say so quick to do it. Quick, quick, quick to do it. So what is it about us as humans? Do you think, that causes this sort of behavior and this sort of behavior does not require this extreme of a situation. No, this sort of behavior happens in far more regular occurrences than this sort of situation. What is it about us? Do you think that, um, encourages that sort of behavior? Because I don't know anybody, $55 million. Mm-hmm. And yet, I still receive forgiveness and still treat other people like crap sometimes. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is, is I think we do have that debt because we have the debt to God. And I think that's what's right. That's what's represented here is this. Oh yeah. yeah. I, but I, I was, 
we're going to get to the spiritual part. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in this guy's shoes. Like I have never outside of God. Right. Owed anybody. Your house, anything. Your house is my house is my biggest debt. And, and the reality is, and that bothers me. Right. But even in that, there's still this concrete thing. You know, there's a physical thing that can. Yeah, and if and if times got hard, I could sell it, yeah. and I would be out of that debt. Um, but yeah, this whole being like up the creek without a paddle, like surrounded by grizzly bears with you know a you know a a, a mortal wound sort of debt. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't require this sort of situation for me to receive forgiveness to be. Uh, blessed by somebody and then turn right around and be a complete idiot to somebody else and mm-hmm. show anger or show contempt or show judgment instead of grace or mercy. And and it's that transition of, oh yeah, bless me, forgive me, and then you, you know, and just go off on somebody. Like what in that transition to me, it seems just completely self-centered and uh, immature are, are the two words that come to mind. But I'm just curious, what you know? What about the human condition? Says, yes, shower me in praise and forgiveness and grace and mercy, but no one else gets it because you owe me this and you wronged me this way, and I just, it makes me feel like a, a child to mm-hmm. act that way. Yeah. I- I mean, it's, I wish I had a better <laughs> answer, but I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's our sinful fallen nature. Um, That's not a bad answer. Well, it's not a bad answer, but it's. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for a formula, Dave. Oh, no, I, I know. But, but I guess there is just sort of this rolling around in my head of just, um, you know, why do you do it? Well it makes me feel better about myself sort of a thing. It's fun to kind of create that uh, me and you versus them, or we're better than them. Or can you, well, but that sort of mentality is, is, is what I'm trying to figure out. Why do we have that? You know, if you genuinely think about how twisted it is, that I can go, I feel better about myself because I have ruined you... that person's day. Like that's, that's pretty sick. Yeah. You know, that, that I'm going to get that much pleasure out of putting someone else in their place. Like, I'm better than they are because I have nicer clothes or I have more education or I just was able to put one over on them. Like, it whenever I think about this mentality, I think of middle school <laughs> and yeah. I'm not in middle school and I've not been in middle school for quite a while. Like I'm about to turn 30. I should not be acting like a 12 year old version of myself. And that, and that is what I'm trying to get at is, is that this dude was acting like a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. He was screwed. And he got totally let off the hook, had zero appreciation for it. I mean, I can think of times when I was, and I was a good kid overall. I, I thought I was smarter than my parents. I let them know it. Uh, I thought I was smarter than everybody else. And I let them know it. But I never did anything like bad. You know, I was just, I was just an idiot and didn't know I was an idiot. And. You know, I can think of situations where my parents let me off the hook and I turned right around and I was just an idiot to them, having no idea and no understanding of, dude, you're playing with house money right now. You need to be a little more chill about this whole situation. And, and so like, I see that tendency in me today Hmm. of like, yeah, I'm I'm 29 and I'm an adult and all that stuff, but I still, in moments like this, act like I'm 12, where I think that I'm smarter than everybody else and I deserve to be a little bit higher above them. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just frustrating, you know, to think that it's been 17 years and I still want to be like that jerk of a middle school kid. Sometimes, not all the time. Every once in a while, you know, I act mature. It's just frustrating. Oh, and and it's just like I even just have to laugh at like, I mean, I teach classes on how to like not like how to be the an effective communicator in this stuff and how to deal with conflict and you know all that kind of stuff and yeah, I mean. I'm in a position of authority at work and probably in the, the, the one position, the one position at the department where, Hmm. I mean, it's just really humbling. I mean, I'm really in a position of, um, I'm, I'm supposedly my integrity like, this is just even weird for me to say this out loud kind of deal. Like, I'm in a position of you're there because the perception of you is that your integrity, uh, your character is, quote unquote, better than others. Irreproachable. Irreproachable. And so I even think about being in that context, and it's just like, and yet I still do this kind of stuff. Now, I'm really good at putting a front up of not, you know, letting people know that. And I'm careful about who I have these conversations with, but you know, I just, I, I had, I even was in a conversation today where in the moment I realized just how two faced I was being of saying, you know, agreeing with somebody that I was just talking about a day earlier, or a couple of days, or actually it would have been last week. Cause we would yesterday, but okay. I can't let this reference go. Mm-hmm. You work in a department. It's a police station. Am I allowed to say what department it is? Sure. Internal Affairs. And you just referenced being two-faced. Right. Have you watched Batman? <laughs> yes. Harvey Dent worked in... <laughs> oh, you're going to be a supervillain. That'd be kind of cool. No, no, man. I don't know. You'd be infamous. And I'd be guilty by association, Dave. Oh, man. Yeah. I... I'm I just, want to go watch that movie now. I've got no time though. There's not enough time in the day. There's not enough time. Period. <sighs> yeah, I've I've joked that, and this is more on the. I want to be a vigilante when I quit my job. I'll do it for free. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> I think that's kind of what vigilantes do. They don't really get paid. Right. Not mercenary. Not. Yeah. But no. You want to be like the Arrow or the Flash or like Batman. Right. Just let me know a name. And I'm Batman. I'll take care of it. Ooh, what would your superhero name be, Dave? I really don't know. But here's the thing. Like, I have those moments. Where I'm like, the people that play by the rules just get, I'm not going to say the word, but it's like. <laughs> railroaded? Can we, railroaded. Set, can we settle on that railroaded. one? <laughs> I mean, it's just, and it's so frustrating. But anyway, complete tangent. Sorry. You do realize that I'm going to have to bleep out the. Vigilante word, so that in case it ever does come true, that you will have plausible deniability. <laughs> you deny it down the road. Yes. <laughs> so wait, if you're a vigilante, does that mean I can be your sidekick that stays back in the lair and plays on the computers? <laughs> that would be and great. Somehow manages to hack all of the government uh, satellites without anyone ever noticing. Yes. Awesome. That means I get a really cool name. Uh. Anyways, gosh, we're such nerds. Um. <laughs> I do want to actually um, kind of talk about what this parable means on the grander scale, which is what I think Jesus was trying to get to. I've so far done very well in focusing on the minutia of this. But to your point earlier, when I said I don't really owe anybody that much, you were like, ha-ha, yes, you do. You owe God everything. And uh, you're getting ahead of schedule, Sorry. Dave. Well, you know, it's because <laughs> you're intelligent and you mm. and you see these things. Um, so obviously, well, I shouldn't say so obviously. That's might not be obvious to people. Now I feel bad. But in this parable, we are the person who owes the just ludicrous amount of money to this king. Mm -hmm. This king has every right to do what he was going to do, which was to sell the man, his wife, and their children to another 
slaver in uh, attempts to recoup some of the money. There's no way he's going to be able to sell this guy for that much. But like any shrewd businessman, if you know you can't recoup all of it, you recoup as much as possible and move on. Um, so that is God in this situation. God in his grace says, you know what? Fine. I will do the the gracious and merciful thing. I will forgive your debt and you're free to go. Cause he released the slave too. You're good. And his family. Yeah. Yep. Just go, just go, go, go restart. You don't owe me anything. And you're no longer even my property. Just go. And then we are also that same person who turns around and tries to squeeze out money from somebody else. And I think what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that if, and this goes hand in hand with the, my brother sinned against me, how many times must I forgive him? If God is willing to forgive us of the greatest debt that we could ever accumulate in a million lifetimes, we must be willing to forgive others that same amount. And when put in such a uh, extreme scenario as this, you know, slave and master situation, uh, you might be able to say, oh, that's ridiculous. No one owes anyone that much money. And that's fine, but we're missing the point if we don't see that that God has forgiven a unpayable debt. There's nothing that we could do to repay that debt. No matter how long we worked, no matter how good we were. And too often our reaction to that is to go point out to other people what they owe us. When in reality we should be saying grace, forgiveness mercy and I'll let you know when I get that figured out <laughs> yeah I time and time again we we talked about judging others last week and I still think it's ultimately God's job to judge um and when I say judge, I think there's this, I use the term judge in terms of this is the consequences for your action. Um, I, th- I certainly think that as Christians, we can point out to fellow believers, not people that are outside the church, but people that are in the church of this is where your behavior doesn't match up to what God calls us to be. So I certainly think we can do that. Um, but. Time and time again, I just I think we all forget how much we've truly been forgiven. And it's just so easy to fall into that trap of holding our uh, holding others to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. Um, or we're holding others to a standard that we think we hold ourselves to that we really don't. Uh you mean that double standard that no one wants to acknowledge? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and ultimately, you know, it's that whole you know, I can point to a specific sin and go, you're doing this and I don't do it. Uh, but the reality is, is we all, we all choose things uh, that are not God. And we choose, um, uh, we choose things of this world um, in ways that we should be, f- that in uh, things that should be fulfilled by God. And so while we may not do exactly what that person is doing, I may not have a gambling debt. I may not have a gambling, gambling addiction. But the reality is, is there are often times where I choose television over God because it's what I want. And it's just easier. And it's just easier. And I'm not saying TV is sinful, but for Dave Hogue, at certain times, there are times where I am consciously choosing TV over God. And that is just a sin is a sin. We're all sinners. So I don't know. I'll get off the soapbox. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll just simply own this, that, that I need to forgive others more often. And not only that, not be so quick to point out their faults or their sins. Um, 
and be so blind to the sins that are in my life. Agreed. <laughs> well. Yeah. I think it's my bedtime. Yeah, it's getting close. I'm just kidding. I've got like two hours of stuff to, still to do. <laughs> There's not enough time in the day, man. My dad used to say that. I was like, what are you talking about? I got all kinds of free time. And now I'm just like, oh my gosh, where did it all go? I can't believe it's July already. Yeah. I have this theory real quick about time. All of our scientist listeners can write in and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Just because I'm honestly curious. I don't, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I just want to know. So, you know, when you're a kid and everything always seems like it's a year away and it just, it just drags and now you're older and you're like, oh my God, it's my birthday. Like it was my birthday two weeks ago or <laughs> it's going to be Christmas in like two weeks, you know, even though it's still five months away, like it'll just, it'll be here like that. I, I have this, this theory that the older you get, time seems to speed up because each day is a smaller and smaller percentage right. of your existence. So when you're two, 24 hours is like, it's a significant amount of time. But when you're, you know, almost 30 or in your 40s, like a day, pff, I could yeah. sleep for one of those and not even miss it. Yeah. And, and so time just seems to have this... Uh, momentum where it just speeds up and speeds up and speeds up till all of a sudden you're a wrinkly old person with yeah, lots I, of wisdom. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. It's just simply a smaller percentage of your life. And I've never thought about it in terms of a day. I've always thought about it in terms of a year. And that's just, you know, when you're two, a year is half your life. Yeah. When you're 45, a year is 145th of your life. So. Oh, that's an ugly decimal. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's where it kind of is. And I think you're right. I think it's, a, it's just a smaller percentage of. Well, and, and how much of those 45 years do you remember? So little. Exactly. But at the same time, your brain's just like, there's no way the summer's halfway over. It just, yeah. Oh, we need to stop the show. We need to start a science show. <laughs> but Science for uh, non-scientists. <laughs> seriously. That would be a lot of fun. I don't know what we would talk about, but we can just we could bring all of our smart friends on and have them talk science to us. Okay. Not that we are unintelligent. That is just not our area of knowledge. No. I, I do want to make a volcano go. That'd be fun. All right, we're stopping now. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>